Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim Equine Health understands the incredible relationship that exists between horses and humans. And when it comes to managing the horse's health, there are actually two patients, the horse and the owner. That's why we create science that helps strengthen and prolong that bond. To learn more about Beringer Ingelheim's approach to equine treatments and solutions, visit bi-animalhealth.com equine. Hi, I'm Mike Pannell, and welcome to another episode of AEP Practice Life Podcast, where we talk about the other stuff of veterinary medicine, not just the medicine. And we talk about the business, the uh, personal aspect of being a veterinarian. Over the last few episodes, we've been really talking with, let's call it a younger generation of veterinarians, um, really talking about newer vets coming into practice. And I thought, you know, one voice we haven't heard for a while, I would say, are people of, let's say, my demographics. Uh, my age. And I said, let's get some colleagues onto the podcast and let's talk about where this profession has changed, where we think it's going and just have some experience. I don't want to say age, but some experience with this. So I'd like to introduce three colleagues well known to AP and to the sport horse world. I'll start to the West and South. We're joined by Dr. Monty McInturf. Hi, Monty. Welcome. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, it's great to be here. All my colleagues here at Tennessee Equine Hospital want to say hello to everybody out there in the AEP world and, and let you know that uh, we look forward to seeing everybody in Nashville here in just a few months. We're excited about that. Then uh, we'll reach on over to uh, staying in the South with Dr. Ann Basket of Trine Equine. Ann, welcome. Hi, I'm uh, Ann Basket from Trine Equine Hospital in uh, North Carolina. Happy to be uh, a part of this podcast. And then finally, a good friend of mine, Dr. Jim Zeliff from Allegheny Equine in Pittsburgh. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Mike, and uh, glad to be here. Yep, uh, Allegheny Equine is a practice just outside of Pittsburgh, PA. Right. So, Monty, let's go back to you. Tell us a little bit about um, yourself, how long you've been practicing Tennessee Equine, uh, just so people know who you are and uh, the perspective you bring to this conversation. Well, so I'm a 1989 grad from Auburn, and uh, so, gosh, I think I'm on my 32nd year of practice, and uh, I really wish it was my second year. I've loved every year of it, and uh, it's hard to believe that I'm going on my fourth decade of practice. It's kind of difficult to even say that without getting choked up, Uh, but right now I'm on a a great team, uh, multi-locations, have a location over close to Memphis, uh, one in North Alabama one north of Nashville and our main hospital, which is just south of Nashville. So we're, we're kind of spread out, but we try to function as a team and uh, we, we really try to embrace each other and, and help each other with work-life balance and all those things that everybody's talking about these days. Thank you very much. And tell us a bit about yourself and your practice. You have quite the unique practice. I'm a fellow Canadian, uh, 1993 grad from University of Montreal. I came down to uh, Georgia to the university to do one-year internship and was going to go back to Canada, and I uh, never left. 
so I did my surgical training at Georgia and then opened up a practice in Tryon in, in North Carolina. And we are a eight doctor referral hospital here. We have a three surgeons, an internal medicine person, and then an ambulatory component. Uh, we also are 10 minutes from the Tryon International Equestrian Center. So eight months of the year, we are the show vets out there. We have a very wide caseload from uh, our internal medicine person does a lot of camelids and donkeys and things like that. And then we do all of the sport horse stuff as well. So um, it's a lot of fun to have uh, all sorts of different things going on in your practice. Just got to keep up with everything. And we have a other location in Charlotte, a couple hours down the road as well. Wonderful. And finally, Jim, tell us about yourself and your practice. So I, uh, Purdue grad, 1988, uh, came out here after doing an internship for a job in Southwestern PA. Really loved the area and started a solo practice in 93. And we've grown it up to a uh, eight doctor practice that we have now. We are 70% ambulatory, 30% in the clinic. And we do everything. We don't have any specialty, just, just horses. We have seven trucks on the road and uh great team wonderful i specifically asked the the three of you because i've known you for a while and i know you think a lot about the profession all three of you love the profession and you always have thoughts about where it's going you all pretty well have graduated around the same time you've also got a lot of experience and you've seen how it's changed and so monty i'm going to start with you According to you, what's changed the most in this profession in, let's say, the past 10, 15 years? Well, so if we look back, uh, you know, 10, 12 years or so ago, uh, uh, 2008, 2009, the horse industry was was tight. And there was a lot of changes uh, with the slaughter bills and, and with the tax positions and lots of things. So the, the horse industry shrank about 25%. So you look then things were a little bit chaotic. Uh, we didn't quite know where we were going, but uh, Tennessee Equine Hospital took an optimistic uh, position, and that's when we built our hospital. And we've tried to focus on customers first and providing service to the customer at, at whatever they need. And what we found is that customers don't really know what time it is. We know that being old practitioners, uh, you know, they're constantly calling us by phone or they're texting or what have you. And we had to find a way to be able to share that, uh, to control that. So the big change I've seen is, you know, there's still a lot of solo practitioners out there, but the solo practitioners that can join teams or form teams or be on teams, they're going to have a better quality of life. Uh, We're all talking about how this world needs a, a better quality of life. And the big change I've seen is the people that want to focus on equine medicine are really trying to join up and kind of hold hands instead of uh, carving it out like by themselves, like we used to just 10 or 15 years ago. But the other comment I wanted to make is that the world seems smaller now. 10 or 15 years ago, we communicated, but I kind of know what's going on uh, with Mike, with your practice, just with reading your, your iPods or checking the internet. I mean, the horse community is, seems to has gotten smaller and smaller through communication, which is actually a healthy thing. Instead of me chasing horses to Florida, I've got lots of veterinary friends in Florida that I can refer to there. Or if my horse is in Tryon, I could I can refer to Ann. And instead of me chasing the horse to Tryon, I can you know stay here in my home and and refer to my colleagues up in Pittsburgh. 
who I have a great relationship with. So I think that's changed a lot as well. Great. Jim, what do you think? What's changed in your perspective over the last 10, 15 years? Well, clearly the lack of new veterinarians joining equine profession, specifically from my point of view, you know, we've added a lot of veterinarians. And in 2001, we had two of us and we're one to add our third. And I uh, put that out in the AEP website, right? And I think I had 30 resumes that I was able to print out and and go through and get them down to five, you know, and talk to them and fly a couple in. And uh, man, that's changed, right? Like now, if you go onto the website, people looking for jobs, there's hundreds of practices and you put your ad out there. And and if one person responds, you're excited. It's a problem and we have to address this. And, And the AAP is addressing this with our retention task force, but we, we need more equine veterinarians across the board. And that's, that's been a huge change in the last 10 years. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that because I think that's a critical factor because I'd like to ask all, all three of you, why do you think that is? But I want to get Anne's perspective on what's changed in the profession in the last 10 to 15 years. I think echoing what both Jim and Monty said, those are both uh, things that I had, had thought about as well. I think the industry as a whole is far more dynamic. There's more movement of vets within the profession, changing fields, changing jobs. I find that now people don't necessarily, it used to be you kind of got a job and you stayed there for, you know, at least 10 or 15 years. And I think now there's a lot more movement of people in and out of practices, which is is good and bad. I also think there's a lot of uh, changing demographics of practice ownership, succession planning. There's a lot more different ways to think about your practice and what's going to happen to it long-term than, than there was uh, 10 years ago, for sure. The one thing I think we can all agree on, and I, I face it in my own practice, is just the change in 10 years, as Jim brought up. 10 years ago, we had so many applicants for jobs. Now, as we've just identified, if you get one, you're happy. So, Monty, why do you think that is? Why do you think less people want to go into equine practice? Uh, you know, I hate to say this, but I, I think we've got a little bit of a black eye. I, I think that corporate America is kind of taking over small animal uh, market, and they're talking about how great it is working from eight to four thirty. We're going to pay you this and give you these days off, and they focus on all the good things for the veterinarian, and they pay a lot as a starting cost, and they leave out the part of, hey, look why don't you go somewhere and learn your trade when the, a lot of our students coming out, they're told that they're ready to go to work. And we all know it, cause we were students just a few days ago. You're not ready to go to work right when you get out of school, but corporate America is telling folks that they are. And so when we reach out to someone and say, Hey, look, let us mentor you, let us pay you, let us help you grow. They're like, well, we're ready to have what you have now. So I, I that's difficult for me to understand because uh, growth is a, is a happy thing. I feel like I've been happy my whole career because I've continued to grow each year. If I start out at the top, how can I keep growing? So I think corporate America is playing a piece of this and maybe even our vet schools are playing a piece of this saying that equine practice is not a good lifestyle. And I'd have to say that it is. It is a very good lifestyle. I, I've enjoyed every minute of it and wish I could do it again. What about yourself, Anne? What is your reason or what do you think is the reason why people are not going into equine practice? Well, I do think there is that 
stigma and they are being told, students are being told, you know, that it's horrible and on call and burnout and, and everything else. And I think, as Monty said, the 10,000 hour rule is, is maybe more important in equine practice than in others. But I think we, as a profession, and a lot of us people that have been in it for a long time and do love what we do, we haven't been as effective as communicating how the end of your career is and how, if you look past the first five years, what a great profession, what opportunities you have. You know, you start at a small animal corporate job and it it doesn't change. That's the end game. Whereas with us, there's so many wonderful things I've gotten to do, travel the world, see things. And I think that's unique to the equine profession. And so many of the students and, and young vets never get past that sort of five-year, I think, tipping point where, where the job does become, it really takes off as a, as a great lifestyle and career. Right. And how about yourself, Jim? I know you're a, a board member for the AAP, and this is something that the AAP is looking at, but from your own perspective, why, why the dearth of new people coming into the profession? So I, I do believe the small animal part's a big part of it, but what we're really you know, that is what it is, and that's not going to change. I think the schools need some coaching and whatever we can do to get in front of these students and let them know, sure, you're going to make less than a small animal classmate your first year, especially when you're doing an internship. But I think most of the practices that I talk to by the time someone's two years out of school, they're making as much, if not more, than their, their small animal cohorts. They're not getting that information. and find a better way to reach out and educate students on what's great about equine practice. Because let's face it, I, I love going to work every day. And my wife has a small animal practice and I've gotten roped in there a couple of times. And being in those four walls and seeing those same people all day every day is not is not any fun at all to me. And those of us that that love equine practice love it for a lot of reasons. And we just need to communicate that to the young folks making their decisions. Fair, fair point. So one thing that neither of you brought up and I wanted to bring up just because I, I see it so often and when you look on, let's say, some Facebook uh, practice owner groups, uh, it's primarily small animal, but I think I've seen it in my own practice. And equine is, well, there are two factors. One in the last 10 plus years is the advent of social media. And two is the perceived change in client behavior, whether it's more demanding, less tolerant for mistakes. Uh, Jim, we'll continue with you. Is that a factor? Do you see that? Is, is that a Huge. bad thing for our profession? Well, I think we have to train them, right? And the train clients, the clients have, mean. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a certain level of respect and, and it goes along with age and, and longevity of the relationship that I think they're a lot quicker to call a, an associate cell phone at 10 o'clock at night when they're filling out entries because they can't find their coggins, right? That can get a little out of control. And one thing that that we're starting with right away is we're going to have our associates leave their cell phones here when they're not on call. It's just, we've got to break that habit. I think if the clients understand that if it's truly an emergency, call the emergency service and we'll come out and we'll charge you. But if it can wait till tomorrow morning, that's when we'll take care of you. We are such a service-based profession, and we've always been there for these people 24-7. And us old guys and old ladies, and us, we, we brought up and we put up with it. 
But the younger folks are saying, no, I'm not going to put up with it. And I think we have to make some major changes. I know Monty's in a huge service related. What do you, what do you think, Monty? How are you yeah, guys? I was just going to Monty on this too. Yeah. Well, I, I have the feeling that the small animal guys may have it right. I, I remember 15, 20 years ago when all these emergency clinics started popping up in small animal and, and the word on the street was, oh, that's never going to work. The small animal practices aren't going to embrace these emergency clinics. And, and now it's industry standard. Every community has got that emergency practice that kind of fills the gaps for everybody else. And I feel like, and, and that's kind of what we're trying to establish here at Tennessee Equine, we're, we're trying to be an emergency center in multiple locations where there's a high population of horses for two reasons. One for the horse and the other for the veterinarians in those communities. Because the veterinarians in those communities that don't have a physical plant, they need a break. Their, their lifestyle is burdened. And if you can build a relationship with those folks say, hey, look, we're not going to try to steal your customer. We're going to try to embrace your customer until you come back on board and you be that emergency contact. It's better for the profession and it's better for the horse because we all know the horse doesn't know what time it is. That, that colic can be at one o'clock in the morning or that birth or whatever. So um, I believe the future is for us to try to come up with some type of emergency facility for the horse in multiple communities to help the overall industry itself and the horse. What are your perspectives on that, Ann, in terms of client behavior or bad behavior? We see a lot of people get on social media and just, you know, with the anonymity of it and just start ranting and raving about things. Have you encountered that in your practice? Absolutely. I think it that has ramped up and I think it has, has ramped up since COVID happened. I think that people have had to wait and have been frustrated and now expecting everything to go right back to the way it was. And we are all, all our practices, I think are, we have less veterinarians, we have more clients and we're, we're not necessarily able to provide the level of service that they are demanding. And I think, as we know, the equine world is an, an older population of people who have been used to being serviced by the older veterinarians who did whatever it, they answered their phones, they came out whenever they were asked. And I, I think we're in a bit of a crux where we've got to change client behavior in order to retain our associates. And some of us just say, well, well I'll deal with it. And, and we're not really, we're hiding from the problem then. If, if we're dealing with those clients, we need to change their behavior. Interesting, interesting. Uh, we've had some interesting things happen here in our corner of the state and the, the one surgical facility in the area stopped doing emergency work. They turned their phones off at five o'clock. So that is, we have already been an area where the other vets send their emergencies when they're gone. So it's gotten quite overwhelming. And what, what we've done is we've just said, you got to haul in. Mm -hmm. And I know there's parts of the country, especially down in Texas, where that's the norm, right? Your horse gets a cut, you hook up your trailer, you take it to the clinic. I think that's something that we're all going to have to, if we want to do this central emergency clinic type thing, clients are going to have to be trained that, that you can't have one vet running all over the countryside for multiple practices. It just doesn't work. Right. No, that's very true. So looking back on your careers, I mean, what do you miss from 10 plus years ago that we don't have now and, and you wish you still, we still had it? Jim, let's carry on with you. 
You know, that's a tough one, Mike, because I really love what I do. And I love what I did 10 years ago. And I don't really have anything I'd want to go back and change besides getting enough help. I think probably I was going to say, I'll answer your question for you. 10 years ago, you had a lot of uh, applications for a job. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing I miss the most is is the stability in staffing. Um, it seems like 10 years ago, we had lay staff and vets who stayed for a much longer time than, than they may be now. And I, I miss that, that sort of team that you, you know, can really build when you're, you know, when, when people stick around for a long time and I miss the more knowledgeable horsemen. Now we have people that own horses, not horse people, and they're not necessarily the same to deal with. Yeah. I think, boy, that's a huge point. And I think that's probably a factor. I think none of us have talked about about why people don't want to stay in the profession easily is that a lot of our clients don't manage their horses well. And I've had a couple of our vets come to me recently and just say, I was put in a really dangerous position because of how a client was handling a horse. And I, I think that's a concern. So anyway, Monty, let's go back to you. What do you miss from 10 years ago that you wish you still had now? Yeah, I, I miss more face-to-face communication. I mean, communication has gotten so easy through the internet and zoom meetings and, and all the things that we, that we do now, we don't have to be face to face. And I agree with Ann. Uh, I don't know my, my staff is we've grown a lot. We have 20 veterinarians now, but I don't know my staff and my team. Like I used to know them because I had personal relationships, close relationships with everybody. And, and I think COVID had a lot to do that with that as well. We, we segmented all our teams last year just to protect everyone. And uh, we're trying to get everybody pulled back together. It's, it's hard to be a team when you're segmented, right? So I, I miss that camaraderie and that time together, building those long-term relationships, like Ann said. Let's look at now. Is you know, What about now? And Monty will carry on with you. Like, What do you have now that you didn't have before and you're so glad that it exists for you in your practice? Well, we have a bigger team and we share responsibilities. I, I don't have to be on call as much because we, so we share on call and we have a motto of it was your turn. You work hard and, and when it's not your turn, you play hard. So I, I'm thankful to be on a team where I can have some time to go to the lake or spend time with my grandson or, or do those kind of things. But when it's my turn, I don't plan other stuff. I just do my thing. Right. So I encourage everybody to find a network to, to lean on. It's, it's a great, it's a great way to practice. How about yourself, Jim? Yeah, I, I agree. The bigger teams when developed properly can really make your life a whole lot better, but also the technology as much as it is the crutch when we're trying to get away, right. To be this connected, but it's also really nice to be able to be away and travel and come back in through web-based software and all these other things that we can do. You know, we got so comfortable with the zoom meetings that, that now when we have somebody who can't make our twice a week doctor's meetings, they just call in by a zoom. And it's almost like you're there. Everybody has gotten really, really good with this communication technology. And then, of course, our DRs, our ultrasounds, our scopes, all of the stuff that we have. We can do so much better job in the field than we could have ever thought of doing 10 years ago. 100%. How about yourself, Ann? What do you feel that you, you're so glad that you have now? That's the, exactly what I had to say. The more advanced diagnostics and, and veterinary equipment and being able to 
do a better job, do a faster job. We do provide excellent service to uh, equine patients when you look at the, the human world. And I think it's, it is a combination of having so many more advanced tools at our hands and also uh, far better communication systems. And, and I, I really enjoy the robust, more practice software so that with better tracking and reporting and knowing where you're at with your practice, I think that's, there's been a lot of advances in, in ways to run our businesses as well. Yeah, for sure. So last question, and let's, we'll stay with you to start off with. So what advice would you give a young or soon-to-be vet to help them have a fulfilling career? I know we touched upon a little bit at the very beginning. We're recording this beginning of July. People are starting internships. People are starting uh, new careers in, as a full-time associate. So this is a, a very timely uh, time of the year to answer this question. Yeah, I had a I had a few things that I looked back to at what really helped me. I think looking as we talked about past the first few years of equine practice to what being an equine veterinarian can be. Look for people who've been in practice for a long time and that are happy and find out what their secret is. What what have they done to want to come to work every day? I think to do all the advanced training that you have the time and money for because it will pay in job satisfaction down the road and collaborate with as many people as, as you can as soon as you leave vet school and don't go it alone. And I have one more thing because I'm the woman on this call. I think it's very, very difficult. People worry about having kids and being in this practice. And I have an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old, and I can say that your kids will be fine if you're not always there, and your kids will be fine even though you feel guilty and they will respect you for what you've done. So I, I think that's always a big concern for younger veterinarians these days. And being at the other end of it, I, I wouldn't change what I did with my kids. And I did miss some things, but they're just fine. How about yourself, Jim? What advice would you give? So clearly I, I would congratulate him for joining an excellent profession and, and be patient and, and learn your skills and, develop your relationships and realize that we are in a people business more than we're in an animal business and uh, pick a place where you know you want to stay because you are going to put a lot into getting yourself established. And if you wake up and say, well, and, and we've had two people in our practice, one coming, one going for the reason that they wanted to raise their children close to family. And, and that's a tough transition when you're five, six years out of school to switch practices. So figure out where you think you want to stay and get yourself settled in there. And then um, the last thing is ask questions. You know, we practice owners want you to be educated on the, the business end. And, and most of us see our younger associates as who's going to purchase our practices when we retire and have that conversation. Let everybody know what, what their opportunities are going to be and, and then educate yourself on the business end so you know the reality of what it's really going to be like when you become an owner. And Monty, last word's yours. What advice would you give a young and or soon-to-be equine vet? Yeah, when we're, when we're looking for teammates, Mike, we look for two things. We, we, we look for nice people that work hard. And to be a veterinarian, you got to be a hard worker. And so I just encourage you, to be a nice person. And so when you're going into this field, if you're a nice person and you're kind to your colleagues and you're kind to the veterinarian and you're kind to the horse, I mean, the world is yours. 
it can be whatever you want it to be. You can make as much money as you want to make and you can have as much fun as you want to have if you just be kind and be nice and also manage frustration. If you come into this profession thinking I'm going to own it day one and your expectation is that high, you're going to get frustrated and, and frustration is the opposite of happiness, right? So manage frustration, be a nice person and work hard. And, and this profession can provide you all the dreams that you ever, ever wanted. So I'm, I'm excited for the next generation. I would happily, I want to say this, Mike, I would happily trade with any 26-year-old graduate today that wants to be 58 and have what I have. I'm, I've done really well. I've got a lot of stuff. I'd trade you straight up. I'll be 26. You, you be 58. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. Some days, uh, I, I would say I, I get that and that enthusiasm. And I think that should probably be the last word is that all three of you just are, you know, you're still looking forward and, and what a great career it has offered you. You've worked for it, but I think that's an example to any young vets that it's there. It's theirs for the taking if you work hard. So I want to thank all three of you very much. I know it's a busy time of the year and it takes uh, an hour out of your day. It means a lot. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mike. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Beringer Ingelheim Equine Health understands the incredible relationship that exists between horses and humans. And when it comes to managing the horse's health, there are actually two patients, the horse and the owner. That's why we create science that helps strengthen and prolong that bond. To learn more about Beringer Ingelheim's approach to equine treatments and solutions, visit bi-animalhealth.com equine.